this is Jen Morris and Angie Fiedler Sutton and you're listening to episode 12 of Stage Savvy. Thank you for joining us. We are going to talk about the art of the audition today. Yes. We figure both of us being actors and uh, at least me directing and both of us stage managing, we've at least participated in auditions in one way, shape, or form uh, with enough times to where we both have uh, something to say about the audition process and what works for us and what we've seen and what doesn't and what exactly is this audition after all. <laughs> Absolutely. It tends to be one of the scariest processes for many actors, just that unknown of what you're walking into. Am I good enough? Will I be able to show what I can do in basically two minutes, typically, if that? Exactly. Uh, well, and Austin Titchener of the, the Reduce Shakespeare Company in one of his podcasts has mentioned that when he's asked whether he's nervous before going on a show, he's like, no, once I've got the job, I'm fine. It's the audition itself. That's the job, is the audition. Mm -hmm. And so if you, once he gets the audition, once he gets the job, he's fine. The nervous doesn't enter into it because he's already gotten the job. And so I felt that that was a very interesting way of looking at it, that the audition is where you should be, the nerves should be coming from. Absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways to audition. Um, it kind of depends on the medium, whether it's stage film or, or like a commercial or something like that there's also a difference in what a director is looking for so it's always wise to kind of take a look at what process that particular theater company or director is looking for for example some prefer a monologue to be presented and they will tell you what type of monologue whether they want dramatic or comedic depending on the show some particularly in more comedic situations or commercials they might have you come in and do some improv um, and you kind of work with them. And then there's also companies that have you do cold readings. So it just kind of depends on what the company is looking for, what the director is looking for. So having that information ahead of time is very important. Well, and also if you are preparing a monologue, it also helps to know what you're auditioning for. Because if you're auditioning for Shakespeare, you obviously don't want to bring in another Shakespeare, but you do want to bring in another uh, you know, classic monologue, either from the Greeks or maybe from the 1800s like Shaw or uh, even Oscar Wilde. Whereas if you're auditioning for, you know, How I Learned to Drive, maybe bringing in a Shakespeare may not be your best choice. So looking at what you're auditioning for, if you are going to be preparing a monologue. So it's always good, as Jen said before the podcast, to always have four or five monologues kind of already memorized in your back pocket, so to speak, that once you know what you're going into audition that you can just kind of brush up on before you go in. So if they do ask if you have a monologue, you can basically rattle them off uh, without much trouble. Absolutely. I think it's good practice as an actor to always have just those set few um, that you've continually work on. You've got that process down. You've honed in on those particular monologues over time. It's good for your skills to improve yourself and, and kind of doing, you know, you could practice your analysis on those monologues and so that you've got them down. But that way you don't have to, every time a new audition comes up, go learn a new monologue and have that stress of, oh, I gotta, I gotta bang one out. I gotta bang another one out. I gotta bang another one out. You have that set cue that you can just pull one out of it as you go along. Well, and you also want to make sure that the monologue suits you. 
I mean, obviously, me being a woman in her 30s may not want to do Juliet, per se, a monologue from Juliet, unless I'm approaching it in a specific way. I took a acting class from my City Theater of Independence that was run by Dean Mealing, and he had this uh, lady who was on in years. I want to say she was in her 50s, 60s, whatnot, and she did the monologue from the Fantastics that the little girl does about the mirror and the brush and all that. But she did it like she was an Alzheimer's patient. And it was really effective as a result because it really kind of added an interesting twist mm -hmm. to that monologue, seeing it more from someone who was kind of not all there, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, that would be, you know, those interesting takes. And that's, that's something that those directors are going to be looking for. Is something that sets you apart? Is there something, you know, in a plethora of the same people coming in doing, doing similar monologues, going through... What's going to set you apart? Positively, not negatively. Yes. We've we've seen TV shows with bad audition processes. So, it, you know, being ridiculous is not necessarily going to set you apart. But having that different something. Yeah. And as a director myself, not that I've directed a whole lot. I think I've directed four or five full-length shows total. I can see the pluses and minuses of see, having an actor come in with a prepared monologue. Uh, the plus being that you can see what this person has done when they've taken the time to do the character development, to do the memorization, to have a full character. So you can kind of see what the end process will potentially look like if you cast this actor. But at the same time, it doesn't really help because the monologue's not from that piece. So even though they may have memorized this monologue and worked on it and had a character, it's not necessarily going to give you much input as to how well they're going to do in that piece specifically. Absolutely, absolutely. And kind of moving along with that idea as well is you don't want to come in with an imitation. It, you know, it, just because it's a Marilyn Monroe type character, don't come in dressed up just like Marilyn Monroe and do a little charade and do all of that. Then the director's also looking for, is this someone I can work with on top of? Are they going to be able to pull that character off? I've heard a lot of persuasion from casting directors and from producers and from directors throughout uh, my experiences you want to come in and show that you can fit that part so don't come in drastically different or anything you want to show where you can be that piece to that puzzle but coming in as an imitation of, of someone else is not going to help you get to that to that point and yeah and, and that ability to be able to work with that actor that's where the dry read comes in for me because I can send them out, you know, send out the actor to read from the script a certain scene, and then I'll give them a completely different scene to see if they approach that from a completely different angle. If I hear the same exact kind of character with a completely different scene or a different character, then I know that maybe that actor's not the most versatile. Or if I, you know, give them the same scene, but I say, okay, this time around, I want you to read it such and such. I want you to read it more like you're angry as opposed to happy. Even though the monologue itself may be a happy monologue, I may give them that instruction to see if they can turn around and give me that because that will tell me in the rehearsal process if I suddenly decide that this one scene needs to go a different way, they are more likely to be able to fit to that. Absolutely. And, and, and branching off exactly what you just said is if that director or producer gives you direction, take it. If they automatically dismiss you, they're giving you that opportunity to show more and go more in their direction. That means that they're interested in looking at your skill. Don't take it personally if they say, uh, that monologue wasn't what I was looking for. Why don't you try this? That means they're interested in seeing what else you can bring. 
Yeah, like you said, it also depends on what you're doing. If you're doing a musical, you obviously not only have necessarily a monologue or a reading from the script, you also need to deal with the singing. As, you know, associate editor of, of Casey Stage Magazine, I see a lot of the audition requests that go through because I have to edit them and make sure that they fit our standards Mm -hmm. and we get you know almost every single one talks about you know you don't want to bring in a song from that show you don't want to um, bring in a cd a lot of times and you don't want to necessarily sing acapella and I'm one of those like with the monologues I can kind of see it both ways you know there are a lot of good songs out there that I know that actually are acapella so you know why would that necessarily be a bad thing and you had you'd brought it up when we were talking about this beforehand uh, well, well, my point was maybe the director's looking to make sure that you can sing along with an accompanist, um, that you can follow the rhythm of whoever's playing with you, and that you can work with a musician in order to go forward, that you don't have to have that specific tempo in order to, to sing. Obviously, you hope you have a great accompanist that's going with the, the tempo of the song that you're singing, but you never know what you're going to end up having. And I think a lot of it's how well can you go with the flow of that situation? Yeah, and it goes back to the how well do you take direction. If the company is, you know, doesn't play at the same speed that you learn the song, if you can still follow it, that lets the director know that, yes, you can learn in the process, and that means during the rehearsal process, if things do change, you're more versatile and you're more likely to go it. Why would you think, and I know the answer to this, but I'm for, for discussion purposes, sure. why do you think they suggest not bringing in a song from that musical? The same reason you're not going to bring in the monologue, the same Shakespeare monologue of the Shakespeare play you're doing. It gives you the opportunity to show that you can be a piece of that puzzle, like I mentioned before, but without coming in, because if you come in and do the song completely different than what the director's looking for, automatically you might get tagged out and it's also just it's just kind of a cliche to do something like that so it's they're looking to see can you pull in something that's going to be similar to what I'm looking for and then I can direct you in that if you come in with a totally different idea and totally butcher it they're like "Uh -uh, nope I'm not even willing to to look at a second option there now, obviously, uh, you said, you know, there's a different audition process depending near on mm-hmm. on stage versus film versus commercial. I don't know if, if you've done much with film or commercial. I know I've only done the one film and I didn't really audition it. I was more of an extra because it was a film that Richard Buswell was helping on. And he's like, I need live bodies <laughs> kind of thing. Sure. And I did it more for the sake of doing a film. I've never done a film, that kind of thing. And just for those the experience kind of thing. But from what I understand, auditioning for a film, like you said, is vastly different. They definitely, from what I understand, want to have you do cold readings from the screenplay. Mm -hmm. And they are looking for a specific type of character and they are looking for a specific look because uh, visually that it it seems on film, it seems to be much more important than on theater what you look like, if that makes sense. They're going to be doing that audition on tape so that they can see how well you look in the camera you're going to have sides whether you get there at when you arrive or the day before if maybe you have an agent that they they were able to give you either the tv or film sides ahead of time obviously much better to get them ahead of time so you can kind of read through them kind of work with that a little bit also do a little research if it's a new project like a film or a pilot it's something where you might want to look and get as much information about the show as possible about the character as possible usually if you get a side you get a little description of what that character is 
if it's lucky it's an ongoing series you kind of have an idea of what you're going to be doing and who those other characters are but if you do show up the day of the audition and get your sides at that point make sure that you do get the opportunity to take a look at them and if they're like here's your sides this is where the audition is make sure that you it's perfectly okay to ask may I have five minutes to take a look at this first so that you don't walk in totally stressed totally uh, pushed into something they understand that process. They want to make sure that they can get the best possible look. So going in and understanding that whoever's reading the sides with you is going to be a stage assistant going, here's the, the line, go. You need to bring your A game and know that you're not necessarily getting anything back. Yeah, I was going to say, um, from what I've read online, especially um, Will Wheaton, who you may know from Stand By Me and Star Trek, he writes a regular blog and whenever he can, because obviously with uh, privacy and piracy and all that, a lot of times he can't talk about it, but when he is able to talk about his various auditions, he talks about the ones that he really likes is when the person he's reading off of actually reads and actually interacts with him because that gives him much more to work off of. But that is a very rare process. He talks about that, you know, yeah, a lot of the times it's you're talking with the PA who, you know, who's just sitting there reading the lines off of the, the script who's not necessarily there to act with you. But back to theater as a director myself, like I said, one of the main things I look for when I, and I'm sure every director looks for, is, you know, just because you don't get cast, as we've said, I think we've said before, doesn't necessarily mean you weren't any good. And, you know, 90% of why you get cast is because you worked well with everybody else that got cast. When I was casting for Death Trap, I saw a lot of good guys for the two male leads, but only two of them really seemed to work well together for what I saw in what I wanted to do with these people. You know, they, they had good charisma with each other. They also had good charisma with the, the woman who I ended up casting as Myra. And that's why they got cast over the others. It wasn't that the others weren't bad. It's just they fit together. Absolutely. And in branching off that, yes, everyone you're going into an audition with is your competition to a degree. But going in and working with others when you are given group work, taking the opportunity to be considerate to others does make a huge difference to a director. Um, if they're watching, like in a theater audition, you're usually kind of there together as, as you go through just because they want to find someone that's going to work well because if there's two contenders, just like you said, who might both be really great for this part, but one of them is really meshing well with others and, and working in those group scenes versus just look at me look at me my line my line who do you think they're gonna pick well yeah I mean I've, there's been a number of times not necessarily as a director but you know as a stage manager where I've had the ear of the director where I've said you know dude this person when you're not watching has been a real diva you might want to be careful about casting them yeah they may be good but they're gonna want all of your attention and as a director you can't focus all of your attention on one actor you have to see the forest for the trees so to speak and so I've seen that when people act a different way off stage I will tell the director and the director takes that into account because they have to work with it you know it is yeah. team work and you know not only that but they're going to be like that this time I'm not going to want to work with them in the future either and yeah. there's been plenty of people I've marked to the side of be careful to work with this person because of how they've been in a, in a show I've been with as well. Work well together because not only will it help you now, but it will help you in the future, especially in community theater. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're not Julia Roberts pulling million-dollar contracts yet. 
So uh, therefore, be a team player. It is collaborative art. Everyone wants to work together. It's, I think it's an art where you want to have that camaraderie. I think that's part of the joy of this particular art. And so being a team player is important, just like in a nine to five career. It's the same concept. Be that team player because that makes you more desirable to want to hire and work with. So in terms of auditioning for a role, obviously one of the bigger things, especially in community theater, is be familiar with the script. I cannot count how many times I've been in a show where it was, or been in auditions either as an actor myself, as a stage manager, as the director, where the person auditioning has obviously never read the script, not even sure what it's about, and that makes effect. Yeah, you may have read your sides, but you know, you're like, if you're not even putting in the kind of effort for this audition, what kind of effort am I going to expect once you get cast? Are you going to do any kind of character development? Are you going to do any kind of preparation outside of what I tell you? You know, what kind of outside work have you done so far? Why am I to assume you're going to do any once you're cast? Exactly. I think that that's vital to understand what you want to know what you're doing too. You don't want to walk into a production and be doing something that, isn't true to yourself i think that's important as an actor to know what your job you're applying for essentially but also you're gonna stick out like a sore thumb if you're the only one up there who doesn't know what's going on with the script and kind of know the progression of the story be familiar with the characters you don't need to do a full analysis five page paper over it but you do need to have some good understanding of what are the characters that are fit for you know the story arc know what's going on is it a comedy or a drama i've seen that before where you've had that audition where they're playing it like a comedy and it's 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 not (laughs) it just comes off a little ridiculous so know what you're going for so that you don't be that person at the audition a so you can get the job so that you have some credit when you go to that next audition with that director. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, how you, again, it's all back to your marketing yourself when you audition because even if you don't get cast, that director's going to remember you. And if you did a good audition, you just didn't fit, they're more likely to call you if they're directing another show that they like, I remember Jen, she was really good. I didn't cast her because she didn't mesh well with Kelly, who I cast, but... I think she'd be really good in this one part. So, you know, I'm going to call Jen because she was, I remembered her. So using, yeah. using you as an example, yeah. <laughs> but I did cast you. <laughs> well, and it's also some of the stage management work I've gotten actually later on down the road was, Hey, I'm doing this other play after this one. It's, it doesn't have a part for you, but I'd really like to work with you still. Are you interested in behind the scenes work? And, and maybe you're not, and that's fine. Um, maybe you want to focus on acting. But if you want those additional connections that are totally unrelated maybe to that particular project and you want more opportunity to work, you want more opportunity to experience new things, showing that be part of that as well. Okay, we're kind of getting close to the end of our time, but I uh, figured one last thing. What do you think is the best tip you use when you go to audition? What do you do that helps you either get over the nerves or helps you remember, you know, help you do a good audition? I think engagement. Engage with the director. Engage with that person who is casting you. Direct your monologue or your piece to that person. Like, that's the other person on stage with you. And and that type of engagement brings that person up into the story with you. And I, I found that when I really concentrate my energy to be with that 
director in that moment. It gives me a more powerful performance, um, but it also gives the director a little more insight to me in that moment. So I find that very powerful. And, you know, even moving on, the sidestep there is if you don't get that audition, it's okay. Again, it can always lead, as we talked about, to other things. You're not going to get every audition. It's not going to happen statistically. But knowing that those great audition skills will improve for the next one, the next one, the next one, that you're going to have a greater volume. Now, I know for me personally, a lot of my things nerved. I definitely get have that nervous energy. And one of the things I've done to kind of direct that, not just in auditions, but I've learned it also when I'm going in for an interview, because there are a lot of similarities between going into an interview and going into an audition, is I try and distract myself. One of the things that Marsha Morgan, who we've talked about before, had as a tip to keep people from laughing on stage. Well, one of the, th- one of the things bad about laughing on stage is if you sit there and think, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh you're going to laugh because you're focusing on trying not to laugh. So she suggests distracting yourself. But her thing is, if you if I say don't think about elephants, what do you end up thinking about? Elephants. Elephants. So she, you know, recommends distracting you by focusing on like a white piece of paper, focus on the lines and whatnot. That doesn't work for me, but we also have a series of uh, tongue twisters that she has had, had us memorize for, for diction and all that. And so I turn my energy to going through one of the longer tongue twisters that she's given me the Theophilus Sissel that Jen is very familiar with and as I run through that my nervous energy gets focused into that and that helps calm me down and so I've learned like I said I've started doing that even before I go into interviews or if I have anything else that's nervous when I did the cappies and I was one of the presenters with Richard for Casey Stage I caught myself doing that before I went on because that helped me get over that nervous energy that you inevitably feel before going to do this stuff. So find something that works, you know, where you can use that nervous energy as opposed to constantly thinking about how nervous you are. Because if you constantly try and get yourself to be not nervous, that's going to make you even more nervous. And for me anyway, I tend to speed up when I'm nervous. I tend to speak a lot faster. I tend to babble when I'm nervous. And so I've learned that I need to focus that energy elsewhere. So that's our thoughts on auditions. Obviously, we're nowhere near covering the gamut of all the various things you can do for auditioning. A lot of books out there and stuff like that. But that's pretty much for it. We'll take a short break, and then we'll be right back. Hi, this is Rick Truman with Quality Hill Playhouse. We specialize in the best of the American songbook in an intimate setting. If you like good music... Sung well, come down to Quality Hill Playhouse. Visit us at www.qualityhillplayhouse.com. Thank you for listening to episode 12 of Stage Savvy, hosted by Jen Morris and Angie Feather Sutton. We hope you enjoyed it and would love to hear your feedback. You can send us comments in several ways. You can comment on the blog posting for this podcast over at angiefsutton.wordpress.com which is also where you'll find show notes for the podcast, including a link to any items that we might have brought up today. You can also email A. Fiedler. It's A, F as in food, I, E, D as in dog, L, E, R, at caseystage.com. Or if you'd like your comment to be on the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 816-23-STAGE. Please indicate that you're calling about the podcast, as this is the regular phone number for Casey Stage Magazine. We'd like to thank KKFI FM 90.1 for letting us record our podcast in their lovely studios, as well as Jason Bauer, who wrote the great theme music, A Variation of I Got Rhythm. Thanks also to Rick Truman with Quality Hill Playhouse for that bumper. Since this is an audio podcast, we'd like to end each 
one with a song usually written and or performed by a local musician. If you're a musician and would like us to highlight something you've written, just send us a note, again, either by email, afeeler at kcstage.com, or by calling 816-23-STAGE and mentioning the podcast. This month is a song written by Jack Phillips, otherwise known as Microphone Jack. He was born and raised in northwest Missouri and northeast Kansas and currently lives in Hyde Park. He's performed his songs here on KKFI and for the fundraiser they had in December and has been heard at Davies Uptown Ramblers Club and Sarbar. For more information, you can go to his MySpace page, which we will link on the show notes. Here's Don't Believe Everything You Think by Jack Phillips. to think you have things figured out though often wrong you rarely are in doubt your conclusions and reality are never quite in sync so don't believe everything you think don't believe opinions really stink if bad ideas were a crime you'd be locked up in the clink so don't believe everything you think those who disagree with you are often right but you don't listen you get mad and start a fight you deny all criticism and retaliate for spite because you cannot tolerate not being right Treat your cognition with great suspicion. When you think you have a thought, just let it pass. Your synapses have serious lapses. That thought you thought you thought, that was probably gas. Don't believe everything you think. Your mind is circular like a roller document your wisdom would be a waste of ink so don't believe everything you think your mind is messed up like you've been drinking you act like having thoughts is just as good as thinking please expand your humility and let your ego shrink and don't believe everything don't Stage Savvy is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.